he's coming at you today, okay? And I'm just sensing a little bit of a low right now. Ladies and gentlemen, can I please have your attention? I've just been handed an urgent and horrifying news story. And I need all of you to stop what you're doing and listen. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk with Derek Johnson and Nick Springer on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Depend on it. Hey, what's happening? Welcome in to another edition of Rock Chalk Sports Talk here on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN with Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson for another edition of RCST. KU is 3-0. They're good at football. It's official. Everything is over. Uh, they've hit the over for the over under and wins. They continue to blow by expectations. They are receiving votes in the AP poll. Jalen Daniels just continues to rack up win or after win in terms of not just on the field, but all these awards. He's number one in total QBR. KU is just good at football. Yeah, it's 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 incredible. I mean, I I don't think either one of us expected to be in the situation three weeks into the season. And it's it's yeah it's it's still a wild <laughs> feeling. I, I'm sure there's a lot of KU fans that are that are almost pinching themselves, thinking like, is this really you know is this are you are we sure this isn't just a dream you know of how to start the year? But it's not a dream. KU football is very much here. They're looking really good. Lance Leipold has turned this program around, and and Jalen Daniels, Big 12 Offensive Player of the Week this week after another outstanding game against Houston. And yeah, I mean, and and again. We've talked about it. The great news for KU, it just gets better and better for them, is their next three games, all at home and all very winnable against Duke coming up and then Iowa State and TCU. So, I mean, KU is really in a very good spot in terms of not just continuing their full momentum, but now we're talking we're talking bowl game at this point. Yeah. So I mean, we're gonna, only three wins away. We're going to dive more into this. We're going to dive more into this, not just today, but really all week long. We're going to be joined by David Lasky, typically on Mondays, 340, here to talk a little Royals. We have Brandon Schneider coming on with us, the KU women's basketball head coach. They should have an awesome season, season in front. You know, it's not... Uh, they kind of had the season last year that KU football ha- is having this year. We have yeah. a nice surprise season, and, and now they're looking to build on that. We're going to start having him on or, or somebody from the KU women's basketball team kind of weekly here, so we're looking forward to that. Um, and then also we've got some of our other typical Monday segments. The wait is over, Kansas. DraftKings Sportsbook is here, and the NFL action is in full swing at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official betting partner of the NFL. We're talking touchdowns, big plays, and even bigger wins. New customers can bet just $5 on any NFL team to win and get $200 in free bets if they do. I was in Las Vegas this past weekend for uh, my mom's birthday, and it was, it was first of all, it was very funny being in Las Vegas to watch what happened to the Raiders yesterday. <laughs> um, that, that, was, that was very awesome. Uh, but I'll, I'll be honest, like I was sad not being able to hit some of the, the local bets that were available on DraftKings. Like, yeah. Some of the bets that a lot of people were hitting, like, you know, you had Devin Neal. I, I think it was over, like, 41 and a half rushing yards. By the time I looked at it, which I still couldn't bet on it, but I, I pulled up the DraftKings app, it was up to, like, 44 and a half. So people were, like, all over that. They hit it because of that long run he had. It actually, prior to that long run, wouldn't have got it. But he ended up clearing it. I think Daniel Highshaw cleared his. Jalen Daniels would have cleared his rushing one if there was one. I don't know if there was. But it was sad because I couldn't, I couldn't bet on any of them. And basically what I'm saying here is, there are certain things on the DraftKings sportsbook 
that you can bet on locally that you aren't able to in Vegas. So download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use promo code KLWN to get $200 in free bets if your team wins when you place a $5 bet on any football game. That's code KLWN, only at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. Gambling problem? Getting help is your best bet. Call 800-522-4700. 21 and older, physically present in Kansas. Deposit restrictions apply. Bonus issued as free bets. One boost per eligible game. 10-plus leg required for 100% boost, opt-in required, parlay and wagering restrictions apply, eligibility in terms at DraftKings.com slash football terms. KU runs all over Houston. They put up over 280 rushing yards in the game. Again, Jalen Daniels not sacked, ultra-efficient. The offense looking just unstoppable once again. We saw more of the triple option to where it looks more like a staple than it did just something to throw out differently in the Week 2 game against West Virginia. Like Clearly, that's going to be a big part of the offense moving forward this season, and who knows, maybe the future. They, they always kind of curtail the offense to whatever personnel they have. Um, defense struggled early. But they figured it out a little bit from there. And I'll, I'll say this, like KU is the greatest live betting team of all time. I, I think we need to stop like on, you know, on Fridays or whatever. We'll talk about, okay, so KU is getting this many points or KU is giving this many points. Are you taking it or not? I think we need to just decide as a community, let's let the first five minutes of the game play out and then everybody lives bet, live bets Kansas. They should just, for the Duke game, they should just start with the scoreboard and have it say 14-0. <laughs> just, just start the game that way. Start the game. But, no, seriously, think about the challenges that KU had to face against Houston on Saturday. Down 14 nothing again. It, it, it was it was a hurricane. It was pouring rain. Mm-hmm. They got hailed on. <laughs> it was literally hailing at the game. Then they battle back. Then a one-hour lightning delay when they're about to score to take the lead. So they, ha- so they have all this momentum. It gets killed by the lightning delay. They come back. They still score. And then they just pretty much take over the game from that point on. I mean, it wasn't even close after that. For, for KU. So just an incredible performance by the Jayhawks again. And and again, for the second week in a row, on the road, they've been tested early in a game. And not only have they responded, but they've taken advantage of, and you know obviously got on to win both games against West Virginia and Houston. So again, I, I talked about it after West Virginia win last week, but previous iterations of Kansas football would have folded in those situations. On the road, you know, mentally they just would have not, not been able to, to withstand the, that types of starts to games. Right now, we've seen them do it twice in a row, where they've gotten down early, and not only have they come back, but they've really come back and then asserted control. I mean, they were in control of the West Virginia game to a certain extent in the third and fourth quarter as well. And same deal against Houston; they really took control of the game against Houston. So it's it's just so obvious that Lance Leipold's message, that his philosophy, is seeping through every part of this program, and it's really it's really incredible to watch. Because again, even even for me, I mean, it's still shocking to say it, but like, but yeah, I mean. For K football, if you go down 14 nothing in, in the first quarter, it's a death sentence. Game's over. And now back-to-back weeks, KU has has weathered that storm, literally, literally weathered the storm against Houston and come back and looked really good and eventually, like I said, taking control of games. And they have two power – two one power five, one road win, one almost power five road win because Houston's going to be joining the Big 12. So, And obviously Houston was a previously ranked team. So it's just uh, – it's it's – it's really remarkable to watch, and I think a lot of KU fans are really appreciating it, which as they should. It's it's really exciting, and it just it keeps going. They got Duke at home, so just keep keep it keep it going. Yeah, I uh, I I kind of pondered the question in the off season of like, well, how much is just having a good coach and a good quarterback worth? And I I think you know a lot of people, including myself, were high on what Jalen Daniels could be. 
Right now, he looks like the best quarterback in the Big 12. Will that continue? I don't know, but he's certainly in that conversation, you would think, the rest of the year. And then again, there's Lance Leipold. It's like, okay, clearly he's one of the better coaches in the Big 12. Right now, he'd be trending toward Big 12 coach of the year. So if if you're saying, because I, I guess how I was viewing it was, yeah, that could be worth a couple wins. If you have the a good QB coach combo, like that's, that's the most important thing you could have. That's worth a couple wins. I think what we're finding out right now is it's worth a lot more than that. And obviously, having a good head coach allows you to have good coordinators, like what Andy yeah. Kotelnicki has done, right? And, <laughs> yeah. and allows that to kind of come together. And, and it's crazy, like to what you're saying about Lance Leipold, the message coming through. We, we've heard so long that every new coach that would come into Kansas, it's like, okay, let's just give them time. Let's be patient. And for good reason, in, in certain years past, like there have been scholarship issues that this staff was in better position for because of what maybe Les Miles did and, and because of maybe changing NCAA rules with scholarship stuff as well as what the transfer, transfer portal, portal could do, right? Like yep. those things are different. But it also just, it, it's two things. It's one, it shows you that like, if, if you're that good, sometimes it just doesn't matter. And the other part of it is, if you think about it, like, it only took nine games for that to come over, even without spring ball. Because now, if we go back to the end of last season, that would mean over the last six games, five of which would be against, essentially, Big 12 opponents, because Houston, Houston. will be in the Big 12. Yep. KU would be 4-2, and two, and... What four of those five games have come on the road? Yeah, they're what three and one in their last four road games, all against basically Big Twelve teams. And remember, they hadn't won a road game since the Bush <laughs> no. administration. No, they won. They won the Central Michigan road game and whatever that was to end like the overall road game yep. streak. Yep. And then they won at Boston College in 2019 to to end the like Power Five road game streak. And then it was I think Texas was the first. Big 12, um, big 12 road win in a long time. And now they're just like rattling them off like they're nothing. It's yeah. unbelievable the job that Lance Leipold is doing. This this is remarkable work because even when you think of some of the best coaching jobs and some of the the big rises by teams that they've had, a lot of times it takes like till year three maybe. Yeah. And even though this is year two to where you're saying, well, it's only one year ahead of time, it really is like year one because last year – to the first whatever amount of time was basically like a year zero because you didn't have spring ball and everything. So this is almost like a year one and a half, I guess, if you want to kind of split the difference here. And that just makes it even more remarkable what Lance Leipold is doing. Mark Mangino, in his first year at KU in 2002 or 2003, went 2-10. and In his second year, he went to a bowl game. So it is from that standpoint, it is doable. Now, obviously, I don't, I don't really know the whole what the situation was with KU. I mean, they were definitely, definitely in a better situation yes. program wise than where they were. They, yeah. yeah, I would say they, they definitely were. Uh, but yeah, it, it really can't be understated what, what has happened here because, like I said, again, I just, I just, the biggest thing to me that sticks out here is just the mental side of things. Like, for so many years, we have seen KU football just break mentally you know, off of whatever of whatever happens, right? Or we've seen plays go against them, and, it, and it, it ruins them for not only just a game, but then for multiple games. And the fact that KU has struggled early in two games on the road against two pretty good opponents. I mean, Houston was a, a preseason top 25 team. We had uh, Jeremy Branham come on the show talking about how Houston had New Year's Six Bowl expectations, right? So that was, evident, that was a good team. And the fact that KU not only took the punches in the mouth early in games, got back up, fought back, and then took control. Like, that just – I just don't think that can be overstated how impressive that is 
meant from a mental standpoint for the team, for the coaching staff, based on what we've seen from previous teams for KU is, is that like, I understand from the talent standpoint and all that other stuff and this, whatever else with KU's program. But like, to me, the biggest thing with KU's program, especially recently has been that mental aspect of it has been that it's, it's been a, a, almost a defeatist attitude. And for that to have been wiped out by Lance Leipold so quickly and turned around so quickly is that's to me is, I think is what's most impressive about all this is like, the ability to to change what had been a uh, what had been a losing culture, right? What had been a losing culture. I don't know how else to put it. That quickly and to have it produce on the field that quickly is just nothing short of remarkable. Well, it's like each step you make when you're a team that is trying to do what Kansas is doing right now, which is. But for uh, so long, it would be like one step forward, two steps back. Exactly. That's how it's exactly. always been for KU. And because of that, each step along the way you go here. There's like, uh, feels- okay, that was great, but what's when, when's the other shoe going to drop, right? Yeah. Like, you, you went at Texas last year. It was like, okay, that's great, but is that just a one-off? Texas had like four turnovers or something. Uh, you almost blew the game late, and you needed that crazy play. Like, that was great, but let's see what it leads to. And then you're competitive the next two games, and it's like, okay, that's great, but how's that going to carry over into the offseason? Then you get to the first game of the season. It was great. Dominated Tennessee Tech. But, but Tennessee Tech. Exactly. The FCS <laughs> team, right? You get the West Virginia win. And that one definitely did feel like a statement of like, hey, you wanted a Big 12 team, but there's still the but part of it, which is like, okay, this is just one Power 5 opponent this year. You know what I mean? Like, it's still a close win. It easily could have gone the other way. Yeah. Clearly, they are a better team than they have been in years past. Like, that. that's not a discussion. But there is still the, even after the West Virginia game, there's still the, okay, they're clearly better. They're a competitive team, but... Are they really a bowl contender? Is that replicable? Yes. What yes. we saw on Saturday? Yes. More than yes, because they even played better against Houston than they yeah. did West Virginia. I mean, you could argue Houston's just a better team than West Virginia. I don't know where those would, where two would, would kind of come out if, if they were playing each other. But, like, we think Texas Tech is a better team than West Virginia, and Texas Tech got forced into double OT with Houston. So I I think Houston is better than West Virginia. I don't know. It, it, it might be comparable. Nonetheless, yeah, yeah. you beat them. I mean, it wasn't really even a game in the fourth quarter. Like, you were just basically cementing the game away at that point. You, you ran all over them. They couldn't stop your running game. They couldn't stop your offense at all. Defensively, yeah, again, it wasn't great. But from the second to fourth quarter, you give up 16 total points. Their D-line, Sack Avenue, completely neutralized. Zero. Completely neutralized. Yeah. Take that. Um, so, I mean, that win was like the confirmation of... This could be something like, yes. serious. And it's like, yeah. maybe we should stop with the yeah buts. And, and I said this last week. I think I said this on Friday. I said, so, I had this team winning three to four games. I didn't have them beating West Virginia or Houston. So, clearly, that's a two-win bump that makes it five to six wins, Right. But it's also the way that it happens makes you reconsider if you should be like, well, shoot, man. Should it even be more than that? Because it's not just about what happened in those specific games. And I mean, yeah. now your team receiving votes, your favorites over Duke by like nine points. They have all these marks of you hear about, you know, 
this is the most points they've scored in the first three games since 2007. This is the most road wins they've had. And all these numbers that like go back to 2007, 2008, 2009. The only thing that went wrong over the weekend or has gone wrong so far for KU football is they didn't get college game day, which yeah. maybe they will next week. If KU they wins could. against Duke, Iowa State beats Baylor. 4-0 KU, 4-0 yeah. Iowa State. I mean, maybe both are ranked, honestly, at that point. Yeah. Like, like That could still be uh, college game day. So Well, I, and... and- with how much game day got got ripped for not coming yeah. to KU, they might feel <laughs> like, bad. They might feel bad. They might feel bad and and decide to come back at some point. But but yeah, and and I've, I've har- we've harped on it a lot in the preseason leading up to it, and then now in these first couple games is KU's schedule is very very nice up front, right? Like with the way KU was playing, they're playing. I, I think I said this after the Tennessee Tech game. Like it, the best case scenario for KU is you play your best football early in the season because that's when you have your most quote unquote winnable games. And now here they are playing their best football or playing really good football. Maybe not their best. Maybe we haven't even seen their best. I don't know, right? But the point is, is this is a KU team that looks like they could potentially go 5-1 and one or 6-0 and oh in their first six games. And if you're 6-0, and oh, cha-ching, you already got the bowl. <laughs> Who cares at that point? Well, they definitely already cha-chinged for a lot of people by hitting the, the Vegas over-under for wins already. That's <laughs> that's pretty incredible. But, yeah, that that's kind of like what it was on, on Saturday. It was... It was the scrubbing of the yeah butts. It was yeah. the confirmation that this team is just like a good football team. It's no more a, I mean, it'll continue to be a cool story and everything, but it's no more just a, oh, it's a cute story. KU is winning some games and, you know, they're getting more competitive now and maybe this is going to mean something in the future. It's about the now. This yep. team is good enough to make a bowl game. I, I, You still don't know if they will, right? Like you could get upset versus Duke this week and then, you're back to a point where it's, oh, man, it's going to be tough to win maybe three more if you just lost to Duke, right? That that could happen. I'm not picking it to happen, but it could. Um, but they are good enough. Like, we, we've seen it officially now. They are good enough to make a bowl game. And honestly, at this point, if they don't win five or six games, it would almost be a disappointment, which is crazy <laughs> if you would have said that before the season started. He's Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson. We're going to continue the KU football talk all throughout the day here on RCST. Coming up in about 20 minutes, we're going to be joined by David Lesky. Up next, though, we've got some uh, Lance Leipold audio from after the game to share with you. This is RCST on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Depend on it. Done it. Welcome back in to Rock Chalk Sports Talk here on KLWN with Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson. Here for another edition of RCST, and we're joined now, as we are on Mondays, by David Lesky of Inside the Crown. Obviously, you know, games continue on for the Royals, but maybe the most notable thing that happened over the weekend was, I guess, off the field with uh, Dayton Moore. There was a piece in The Athletic that was written, kind of catching up with the attempt at a rebuild that the Royals had and, and going all in on these pitchers and, and how it hasn't really worked out. And Dayton Moore uh, had some some comments that didn't seem too happy about that article and, and some of the things that it may have said or may have implied. So, uh, David, what are, I guess, your biggest takeaways from some of the comments from Dayton Moore over the weekend? Uh, I'm trying to... I knew you were going to ask me this first, and I'm still like trying to <laughs> put the words together correctly because there are probably people listening who will not be happy with certain words that I could use. Um, I, the the biggest thing that I took away from from what he said was, in my opinion, he questioned the credibility of 
three former Royals beat writers who who worked together to put this story together. Um, and, and, and I mean, the reason that I think that is because may, maybe he chose his words poorly, but when he said that the article was not factual, that, I mean, look, you, you know, <laughs> that, that's as good as saying, yeah, the guys who wrote it lied. <laughs> I mean, that's, that, that's, that's what the inference there is, I believe. And that, that really bothered me because, you know, I, I, I mean, I went to school for journalism. I didn't end up doing it full time, but I don't know something about about journalists being called out for their integrity, being questioned, stuff like that. Just just really rubs me the wrong way. And then, uh, you know, you, you dive in a little bit deeper to what he said, and and basically, it. it I mean, from from my perspective, this is. I, I took psych AP in high school, so I feel like I'm pretty qualified <laughs> here. Um, uh, it's it, that's him saying, like, "Hey, look, this is true. I just wish you wouldn't have said it out loud." Come on, guys! <laughs> like, like that. That kind of is the whole thing to me. Is if it was completely farcical, I don't think you need to give a. I don't know how long the answer was. I just read it, but I don't think you need to give a two and a half minute answer, whatever, to, to say that it, that that's, that's a cover of my tracks answer. And that is not a, yeah, I look, they can write what they want to write. People can write, stay honest what they want to say, but whatever we believe in what we're doing. That's the answer. That's the answer you have to give, but to go in as much detail as he did to me says they nailed it right on the head. I wish they hadn't put it out publicly now I've got to figure out a way to save my job um, if my boss didn't already realize some of this. That, that, that's what I took away from it. Well, I, I think to me, too, and again, maybe like you said, it's just covering his tracks. So I, I don't know. Maybe it's just he doesn't actually believe some of the stuff he's saying. But it, it seems to me that there is this continued belief in what the pitching is, which like I can understand to a standpoint of, hey, you drafted a lot of these guys high and they've had varying degrees of success, whether it's during small samples of, of certain periods of time in the MLB or at levels through the minor leagues. But like based on that continued belief in the pitching, to me that that just says that he sees all the awful results. Because if you think the pitching is super good, how can you look at hey, the Royals are ranking near the bottom of the league in this category, in this category, and all these stats, and you're looking at those as nothing but saying, oh, they're just struggling, it's just learning experience. When I'm sitting there like, well, shouldn't the best learning experience be experiencing it but having some levels of success and just kind of basically seeing that instead and and kind of choosing to ignore what those results actually are to which I guess also kind of further under lets me understand why the trigger hasn't already been pulled on Cal Eldred because in his mind he's not viewing it as the results he's just kind of viewing it as this idea of oh but the pitchers are young they'll get better yeah I mean that 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 sounds (laughs) that's kind of a concern of mine as well that that's that's the belief there um what I think is interesting is you go back I don't remember what day it was maybe it was um Thursday afternoon. Oh no, no, I'm sorry. It was it was before Chris Buber started in Minnesota. So whatever day that was, maybe it was week, maybe Tuesday. I think it was. Um, 
J.J. Piccolo came out, and he's going, look, guys like Chris Bubich and Daniel Lentz, their career is in their hands now. They need to turn that corner. They need to do it. They need to do this. They need to make, you know, the, it was it was all about what the, these two pitchers need to do. And I, I think it's interesting that you've got J.J. Piccolo in one corner saying, hey, this is on these guys. They, they need to take their careers by, by storm, which we can argue about that all day if we want to. Um, and then Dane Moore's over here going, look, it, the process is good. They're fine. Everything, guys, everything is fine. Don't look at the numbers. Everything's fine. It's like, so basically, it, it, Dayton it, it, Moore it, it, is the parent that the kid goes to one of the parents and is like, "Hey, can I can I sleep over at the friend's house?" And one of the parents is like, "No, we blah blah blah." blah. And then he goes to the other parent and they're like, "Oh yeah, you can do that." Yeah, that's exactly <laughs> what it is. And I, you know, I, I don't know what to make of it. Um, I mean, I, I tweeted this, and it, the way Dayton Moore is talking. I'm not saying this is going to happen, but he's he's acting like a guy. Look, I'm out the door regardless. I'm going to say what I want to say. You can deal with it or not. It's up to you because in 17 days, I'm out of here. Um, I, I could see it. <laughs> I, I could see that happening. I we, This is something we've talked about since what day did they change it? Was May 16th. Is that what it was? Yeah. May 16th when, when Dayton Moore's on the field. Maybe we didn't talk about it that day. It might have been after we uh, our our weekly talk, but um, Dayton Moore answered the question of will the pitching be held to the same uh, level of scrutiny, and he answered it with a condescending answer, and that's been the norm for him since then. You'd always, every time Dayton Moore talks, I, I've said this before on this show, every time Dayton Moore talks before this year, you go, yeah, I don't agree with him, but I respect his the way, you know, whatever. Ever since he answered that question, I'm like, stop talking. Just please stop. You do nothing but hurt the matter when you keep talking. And and I go back to this. If I'm John Sherman, <laughs> at what point are you like, stop. is he like, stop talking? Stop. You cannot, you, you're you not representing us properly. Um, I, I don't know. I, I, I think that there is, I'm not saying it's 100% or 50% or 20%, but I think there's a, a chance that that every time Dayton Moore opens his mouth, it's pushed to John Sherman one step closer to saying, I'm done. And at some point, the results have to come. And look, they're 58 and, I don't know what, what it is, 89, I think. Um, they, they have to go 5 and 10 over their final 15 games to avoid 100 losses, which I don't think is a guarantee looking at who they're playing <laughs> over these last 15 games. So, at some point, John Sherman's going to look look at the team and go, this isn't working. I, I've given these guys three years, albeit one of them a COVID year, shortened season. I, something's got to give. And and I, and I can't imagine being the president of this team, making the comments he's made throughout this season with the record what it is and thinking, oh, I'm, I'm good to go. So it makes me wonder, does, does he know? Is he sure he's just done? I don't know. I don't know what the answer to that is, but it's, it's interesting to think about. David, Mike Matheny, it was announced he's going to coach or he's going to manage some of MLB teams in South Korea for some exhibitions in November. What do you think that says about his job in terms of his job security for the rules? Do you think that says anything about it, or is it just kind of this? you think this is not important, or what's your thoughts on that? I, yeah, I don't know. Um, 
I, I don't think it really has anything to do with the Royals. Um, I was trying to go back and look because they've done these tours before, and, I, and I, I couldn't find who has managed these teams in the past. If there was active managers, I, for some reason I wanted to say Jim Leland did it after he retired, but I might have been thinking of the World Baseball Classic too. So um, maybe maybe I'm off there. I don't I don't think it really means a whole lot. Um, you know, I, I think you could look at it both ways. Like, if he didn't feel good in his job, he wouldn't go to South Korea to manage, um, like, a, a touring all-star team. Um, so, yeah, that, that's great. Or, I mean, it, I know that you're not managing games in November, but there's work to be done in November. So it, it's, hey, if, I, if he's going to be in a job, should he really be leaving his organization for, I don't know how long it is, a week, two weeks, whatever it is? I mean, that, that that's kind of far-fetched to me because it's only however long it is in November. But... I don't, I don't think it means a whole lot, but I'm also not 100 percent sure. So I guess with John Sherman, you mentioned him, and the buck kind of stops there. Like, is is this the most we're ever going to learn about John Sherman in the next, I don't know, two, three, four weeks? Uh, yeah, I, mean, I would, I maybe extend it um, through the off season mm-hmm. because I, you know, I think if I think, I think we're going to learn a lot real quick what happens with this team, what happens with the personnel. Um, I don't know if it'll be October 6th or 8th or 20th or whatever, but over the next, let's, let's say, five weeks, through, through the post, however, whatever the postseason ends, um, over that time. Um, but also, I think that there's, there's an argument to be made that if you combine the right coaching with savvy investment on the free agent market or trade markets, the team could be good next year. I mean, it's, it, it's, you're watching the team right now, and you're, I, I don't know how they could be good unless they sign Aaron Judge, um, Jacob DeGrom, Clayton Kirk. You know, I, you know, there's, it seems like they are a million miles away. But let's go back to that athletic article. The thing that I keep coming back to is them talking about that group of 2018 pitchers. Some, whoever it was, the anonymous scout that Dave Moore just could not handle an anonymous source because that never happened in journalism. Um, <laughs> <laughs> is the, the the comment was that these guys were Guardians or Rays or Dodgers. I can't remember what other team. Maybe maybe just those three. They'd be good. Tells me they're picking the right guys, right? I mean, that's, that's what that says. Hey, if these guys were in a better organization for development, they would be really good. Tells me, okay, the guys are the right guys they they chose. So if they can bring in the right voices, you know, the, Brady Singer's turned that corner. Daniel Lynch. I, mean, I, I think about his last start, three runs on seven hits with 16 whiffs in five innings. I mean, like I, I wrote about this, that whatever you believe about Daniel Lynch, that start backed up your beliefs. Whether you think he's a, a, a burgeoning ace, sure, there it is, 16 whiffs. You think he's a bust, seven hits in five innings. <laughs> everything, everything was there, but maybe he's a guy who could turn a corner with the right, with the right instruction. Chris Bovich... I mean, look, people don't like him, which is interesting because he's been the definition of average for two years before this season. Um, but look, he threw 97 on a, on a pitch. Uh, was it yesterday? Yesterday, I think it was. Um, he had a good curveball. He had that slider that he's just never thrown. I mean, there's a there's a number three or four starter in there with the right instruction. I, you know, there's, there's a possibility this team could be good next season. They need to make some moves but they've got some money to spend. So I'm curious how much money is spent as well. And that 
that directly goes back to the owner, too. So we're going to learn a lot. This is a really long answer to say. We're going to learn a lot over the next five, six weeks, but also over the next, what is it, four, five months, I guess, well, I, during free agency. I've got a uh, ultimate galaxy brain thing here. Dayton Moore is actually the anonymous source, and he knows he is going to be out of his Royals job, and so he can now point to this in whatever next job he wants to try to get and be like, hey, it's not my fault. Ownership just didn't give me good enough money for player development. I, I did a great job drafting. See, other scouts are saying that that I, I did good. <laughs> Dayton Moore is the I love it. I, you know what? I'm all in on this. Let's, yeah. let's, let's spread that rumor. All right. I love it. I love it. Uh, so what do you think is more likely, as you mentioned with Brady Singer, um, that Brady Singer is eventually, at any point, a game one starter for the Royals in a wild card series, or that he eventually gets traded at some point before that happens. So it, who knows? Maybe Royals get a good offer and, and get some sort of, I don't know, good package this year or, or whenever he's up for a free agency deal. The Royals haven't been a playoff team by then, and they have to ship him at the deadline. Which of those two do you think is more likely? Um, I think it's more likely he's a game one starter because I think they're going to go, I think they're going to try to get him signed. And I, and I, based on what pitchers do, I have a hunch he's going, they're going to get him signed, which means he's going to be a Royal for five or six more years. I think it'd be tough with, with an extra playoff team. There's going to, whether it's 2023 or 2025, there's going to be new leadership. I mean, this this isn't going to last. Um, people are going to be really annoyed if it's not 2023, but, there's there's going to be new leadership, um, so yeah, I think he's the I think he's a game one starter more likely than getting traded, but like sixty forty maybe sixty three thirty seven. So it's not like a crazy crazy like big difference to me. All right, who is the uh, player of the week for this past week? Um, it's the Watsons. Um, oh, sorry, we're Royals. I forgot. Um, <laughs> Who, who who can we pick? I don't know. Salvi, I guess. <laughs> he, he, he was the only one with a good week. 333, a couple homers, four RBIs. I, I did want to highlight on Salvi real quick. Since he's been back from the injured list, coming back way too early, he hit 298, 323, 511 with 11 homers and 37 RBIs in 46 games. Mm. This guy's a freak. All right. We, we, I don't. We have we've been so lucky with Salvi that I feel like we don't talk about him enough. And, and he, I mean, last season we did because of the forty eight home runs and all that. But this is he came back from an eight to twelve week injury in five and a half weeks and has done that since then. He is an absolute freak of nature. So yeah, he gets the player of the week. All right, love it. Well, David, you're always our uh, guest of the week here on RCST. Appreciate you coming on as always. Go subscribe to his Substack Inside the Crown. David, thanks again, man. Yep, thanks, guys. All right, that's David Lusky inside the crown. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk. One hour down, two to go. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk with Derek Johnson and Nick Springer on FM 1017 and 1320. KLWN, depend on it. It's 4 o'clock on Rock Chalk Sports Talk with Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson. Brandon Schneider, head coach for the KU women's basketball team, is going to join us in about 20 minutes from right now. We have a case of the Monday. Before we get into this here, this is the ultimate case. This is just case of the the bad season. I I just saw Connor Grohl on Twitter who does uh, research for CBS Sports. Colorado State 
is the only team in FBS without a rushing touchdown this season. But here's the real kicker. Through three games, Colorado State has 104 carries. How many yards do they have, Nick? Is it is it like is it like two hundred or something? You doubled it. It is a hundred and nine. Really? They're really? averaging one point zero five yards per oh, carry. That's so bad. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's a case oh, of the season. All that right. Is horrible. Cue the music. Let's get into our case of the Mondays here. And first up, Willie Gay slash the Chiefs defense. Willie Gay has been suspended without pay for the next four games for a violation of the NFL's personal conduct policy. He is eligible to return to the Chiefs' active roster on the Week 6 Monday Night Football game against Buffalo. And first of all, this is odd that this carries about a third of the same suspension as Deshaun Watson, which seems way worse. But again, that's always going to be something that people are going to be able to point to now and be like, this is only X percentage of of this amount of game, uh, but this is a big loss for the Chiefs. Willie Gay has looked really good to start the season. Yeah, so this stems from he he was involved in a legal matter where I, I believe he was arrested, actually, for a, some misdemeanor something, destruction of property or something back in January. Uh, so I, I saw a lot of people on Twitter react to this as if, like, well, what happened? Whoa, whoa, So this is what it stems from, just so everyone's aware, uh, from an incident that occurred in January. I don't really know why it took them this long to go ahead and issue this this uh, suspension, but it did. And yeah, it is pretty unfortunate for the Chiefs. I guess that means more Leo Chanel. We'll see. Uh, so I don't know. We'll see. Yeah, uh, puts more pressure on Nick Bolton. Like you said, if yep. we see Leo Chanel, uh, we'll see. But other guys have to step up because he, he just looks so fast out there and brought this speed to the defense that you've been kind of missing in years past. And, um, yeah, he's been one of those guys who he like he gets to like so many balls, but he doesn't always like intercept them or make the tackle. But he's always there on a lot of these plays. So big loss for the Chiefs, especially over the next four weeks. When I mean the, the entire Chiefs schedule is really difficult this year. But yeah. you look at the I next think, four. I think they have a three week stretch in like towards the end of the season where they get the Seahawks, Texans, and Jaguars. That's about as easy as you could ask. Uh, You'd prefer like, that. I don't know if it's all three in a row, but it's like those three out of like four or five games. Okay. Well, the next That's four. Colts look terrible right now, so yeah. that one should be okay. But then you have uh, at Tampa Bay after that. Bad. I'm pretty sure you have Denver in there. Who knows what to think of them at this point. But, uh, yeah, it's it's sort of a tough schedule early in the season. And then you have him coming back versus Buffalo. Who knows how ready he'll uh, necessarily be. But, yeah, that's not great overall. Well, they actually, it's the, uh, they have the Raiders. The Raiders, that's okay. Colts, Bucks, Raiders, Bills. Those are the next four games. Yeah. Not ideal. Uh, college game day. Case of the Mondays. Horrible decision over the weekend. They Dude. decided to go to Florida, Tennessee. They were getting flamed on Twitter so hard. I've never seen more people rally for for KU football ever than what we saw <laughs> for the weekend. I mean, that was awesome. We had people from everywhere begging college game day to come to KU. And, and listen, we talked about it earlier in the show. College game day, they will have a chance to redeem themselves over the course of this season. You, look, you think about this. So KU, they've got Iowa State. And then they've got TCU. So Iowa State could be 4-0 if they beat Baylor. They wouldn't come for the TCU game. But then the next two home games for KU are Oklahoma State and Texas, right? So if KU's like if KU's like 7-2 or 6-3 and and Texas is also like 7-2, 6-3, like they could easily come for that. I mean, think about the storylines you got there. Kansas has beat Texas. Hasn't lost to Texas in four years. I mean, that that... 
that game, I think, is one you have to circle and pay attention to for the possibility of game day. So they still have a chance to redeem themselves later in the season. But The only problem with that one, the KU-Texas one, is because isn't that like Thanksgiving weekend to where there's usually like all these rivalry games and like big games going on where you get like all these insane like matchups that you're going to have a lot of competition there. Um, But yes, that would be absolutely wonderful. If they I, just any, you know, come to game day in general, whenever it is. But next week, yeah, uh, I'm still circling the, the, it. The Texas game is November 19th, which okay. I think is around Thanksgiving. But yeah, uh, Iowa State that decision. I hope or the even Florida, Oklahoma State. I hope the Florida Tennessee game is a blowout. I hope it's like <laughs> I, I don't care who wins. I just hope it's like 56 to seven. <laughs> and then, yeah, bad well, decision. Florida's not even that good. I don't. I mean, they're decent. But no, Anthony Richardson got all that like Heisman hype yeah. after Week One, and he's Cam really Newton, struggled. And then he ended up just being pretty sure he still doesn't have a passing touchdown this year. <laughs> all right, uh, case of the Mondays: Nebraska sticking with their interim instead of courting others like Lance Leipold, because that is no longer going to happen. There was a part of me that was hoping that Nebraska would just win against Oklahoma on Saturday, because and that they would just have like a good rest of the season, because then it would be like. Oh, look, we might have found something here. We got a good interim head coach. Let's just hire him. And then you don't have to worry about, oh, Lance Leipold's going to leave for Nebraska. That was horrible for Nebraska on Saturday against Oklahoma. Lance Leipold, again, continues to impress. I think the the storyline of Lance Leipold in Nebraska is starting to get more, uh, more traction from maybe the Nebraska fan base now, which is not a good thing. I just feel bad for how much mess we talk on Nebraska on the show. <laughs> We've talked about <laughs> Nebraska in a negative light for quite some time. And honestly, they've pretty much deserved it all. And they got embarrassed again by Oklahoma. So, yeah, that's definitely bad for, I guess, from the KU perspective with the Lance Leipold stuff. And But again, it was always going to be the best case scenario for KU was that Nebraska hire somebody quickly. And I don't know that that, I mean, I guess... From a positive spin zone, you could say, oh, well, if their interim head coach is so bad, they're going to maybe try to make a hire pretty quick, maybe. Like That's Urban Meyer or something could be like true. that. Well, I think I think the biggest thing that you need to be rooting for right now, which so far you're off to a great start, is root against the Carolina Panthers. Yeah. Right? They're 0-2. Or, or Iowa State, Matt Campbell. Yeah. Is Matt Campbell still the but favorite? But I just mean, I just mean, yeah, Matt Campbell's still the betting favorite here. And, and I know I saw one site, shout out to Jayhawk Talk, uh, mentioned that Lance Leipold is up to five to one, which is second on the odds list. Yeah, for I, don't, I, don't, I don't that. I don't know how much to buy all that. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. Sometimes the betting odds are less about what's going to happen, and it's more about what they think they can get people to bet on, and maybe exactly. that's just a public story, right? <laughs> so you never know how to kind of disparage between the two. But um, the reason that you should root against the Panthers is that if Matt Rule gets fired mid-season. That could be your avenue toward Nebraska making a hire before the season ends or something like that. I don't know. Okay, case of the Mondays for Herm Edwards. Herm Edwards did get fired. We are no longer firm for Herm. No. I don't no know. Longer. I Were you never firm for Herm? No. Not really. Okay. I don't know. Well, He's what's fine. really horrible about this, what makes this, I think, case of the Mondays is he got fired before he even left the field. They lost to Eastern Michigan, <laughs> and he got met in the end zone. There was a, there's a video on Twitter. He got met in the end zone by the Arizona State AD and president, and it was definitely not a, hey, we like what you're doing. You know, keep keep up the good work. Keep up the good keep work, up, pal. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, it wasn't it wasn't a slap on the back type of meeting. It was a <laughs> hey, we need to meet in our my office immediately following the game. And then boom, he's gone. Yeah. So that's I mean, they we've heard, heard about him. getting we talk. We've heard about getting tarmacked. This is like a whole other <laughs> level on the field. Are you kidding? Yeah, he did not survive it. Um <laughs> I'll be interested to see who they end up hiring. That'll be an interesting job because that's not one of the premier Pac-12 jobs. There's also, obviously, the rumors about are they going to be in the Big 12? Are they going to be in the Pac-12? Like, is the Pac-12 dying? Are you better off if you're a really good AAC school or something, just like staying at your school than going to Arizona State? I don't know. I'll, I'll just say this. Like, I, I, don't, I didn't see like this anywhere. But just to be clear, I think at this point, anytime a, a Power 5 job opens up, we should just ask the question, is Lance Leipold like a contender for gonna, the job? You're just going to try to stir up people's No, emotions. I'm not trying to stir it up. I'm just like genuinely asking. I don't think like, okay, no. Arizona State, obviously from a standpoint of if they wanted to to try to get Lance Leipold, like I'd be like, sure, that'd be smart of you because Lance Leipold's a good uh, hire. But in the same way that I've said that like, yeah, Nebraska has the means to do it. They could offer all this money. Leipold has ties there. No, that ain't happening. So just cross that one off the list. Yeah. Yeah, no shot. All right, case of the Mondays for AL MVP voters. Because right now, they have quite the sticky situation on their hand. Aaron Judge, Shohei Otani. Those two are putting on absolute shows for toward the finish line here for who's going to win AL MVP. Now, with the Aaron Judge side of things, you have the, the winning aspect. The Yankees are going to make the playoffs. Yankees are probably going to win their division. Shohei Otani, meanwhile, is on that Angels franchise that just can't get out of its own way, can't make it to the postseason. You also have the fact for Judge that he is putting up this remarkably insane hitting season. He's probably going to pass Maris's home run record for the Yankees franchise record, which by some is also still considered the just record in general because they don't want to count the the steroid years with guys like Sammy Sosa, Mark McGuire, and Barry Bonds. But then with Shohei Otani, you have the fact that he is both a pitcher and a hitter this is one of the most fun, I think, MVP debates that you could have between these two guys. Okay, hear me out. Mm-hmm. I actually think this is a good thing for AL MVP voters, and here's why. You have two guys that you could vote for, and nobody can get mad at you for voting for either That's one. That's true. Right? So You, you think so somebody's going to slip in a vote for someone else just like <laughs> randomly? That's what I'm saying. As an, <laughs> as an MVP voter, and this listen, this happens in ML, with MLB voting all the time with the Hall of Fame, with all this oh, kind of stuff, Oh, people get very mad. Exactly. Yeah. So, really, this is a good thing for LMVP voters because they can't screw it up, you would think. nobody, you, Nobody's going to get mad at you for voting for either one of these guys. <laughs> so, you have two shots. You have two chances to not mess it up. That's a good point. Yeah, but no, they, <laughs> they will get – if somebody does vote like someone else, it's going to get doxxed. This is, It's just super interesting because, like, so Otani's numbers are ridiculous. Judge, though, just puts up so much more hitting-wise. But then it's just kind of trying to figure out, like, what is the value – of being able to be a pitcher. What is the value of being able to open up another roster spot on your team, of doing both yeah. for the same amount? And I don't really know where I would go with this, to be completely honest. But well, and it's also the question of, you know, is the, is the MVP the most valuable player or the most valuable player on the best team? Yeah, and see, that's where I always have trouble with this because the idea that what provides the most value and, and automatically there's some people who they do, you know, you have to be on a winning team. You have to, because otherwise 
if you're a bad team and you take them off, they're still a bad team, right? But I guess my my argument <laughs> but if to you that take Aaron Judge off the Yankees, they're still a good team. They are, but I, I, well, I guess my argument to the the whole thing of the idea that oh, Judge had because like if you want to vote Judge over Otani just because the hitting numbers there, I, that's fine. I, I'm totally cool with that. But I don't think the argument should be allowed of well, Judge is on a winning team and Otani is not because. It's not Otani's fault. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. if you just, if, if the Yankees and Angels today just decided to, I, I know it's past the trade deadline, whatever, <laughs> decided to trade Aaron Judge for Shohei Otani, and Otani is now on the winning team and Judge is on the losing team. It would almost be a no brainer. Exactly. It's not Judge's fault and it's not Otani's fault. So yeah. it has to just be viewed from a standpoint who provided the most value for their specific team because well, if you put them in any situation who would add the most value essentially well, and also in baseball i think baseball is probably the hardest sport where you as an individual can affect the outcome of a game yeah right? like it can be the bottom of the ninth inning and you're the star player hitting third in the order and it could be like the set the five six seven eight guys do up you're not even getting a chance to come up right so that I, I don't know how much that plays into the discussion too, but it is it is interesting. But again, I actually think this is a good thing. They can't you, they can't mess it up. You would think. Yes. Okay. Uh, last up for case of the Mondays is Kyler Murray, the quarterback for Arizona. You might be saying, uh, "Hey, they just had a big comeback against the Raiders. Why is he feeling a case of the Mondays? He's feeling great. Um, Maybe he's hungover." Yeah, that could be part. Of, I mean, you just want a big <laughs> comeback in Vegas. In Vegas. Like, did you stick around? Did you do a little extra partying? Maybe. Like, that could be a, a valid reason. Uh, could he be extra sore from the fan who smacked him in the face? Who's uh, Las Vegas police are now yeah. investigating that situation. Yeah, that, that guy needs to be gone. I mean, that, sure. that could be a reason to have a case of the Mondays. The main reason, though, that Kyler Murray could be having a case of the Mondays, a Redditor found his Redditor, I guess I should fully right. pronounce that right. yeah. um found know. his nba 2k account online this was at like 3 30 in the morning so maybe that backs up the idea that he didn't get a lot of sleep last night but maybe not for going out in vegas i love this so three things here his player name in nba 2k is east egg living which that's a great gatsby reference who would have who would have pegged kyler murray for being like a big great he's gatsby a, guy he's a well-read you know? man i guess he like read Great Gatsby when they forced you to read it for everyone in high <laughs> yeah, school, and he's in, like, "Yeah, junior high school English." This is yeah. the greatest book I've ever read. Um, number two, again, like I don't, I don't want to inundate this as being like, "Oh, you'll never believe his rating that he built his player with on on 2K." Because there are certain people listening to this who are like, "I, I don't play any video games at all." <laughs> but I'll just, I'll, I'll say this: like his player build is just terrible. Everybody was just like doxing him for being like, "Really, that's what you did there?" But then third, and this is my favorite part of it: the player that he built. Is a six foot eight point guard, which is so ironic, being that he is like a five foot two quarterback. Listen, I would like to dispute that last point. When you're a short guy, sometimes you have you to dare, dare to dream. dream. You dare to dream, Derek. But Listen, see, sometimes mm. when you're playing a video game, you're like, man, dude, I'm five seven. <laughs> I, you know, this sucks. I'm I gonna go. It. I'm gonna go. You know, uh, here's a good example. Mm -hmm. I've done this before. In NCAA football 14, you can be road to glory where you play as a high school guy, go to college, right? Mm -hmm. I would I would build like a six six wide receiver <laughs> and just go moss everybody just because I wanted to feel better about myself. Well, see, okay, I, so here's Kyler Murray. But like Kyler Murray already foot. is a crazy athlete. Like, why does he need to compensate? He just wants to feel good about being tall. Okay. Well, I see, know. I would have honestly preferred him to be like a seven foot six center, where I'd have been like, okay, that's funny. You're <laughs> you're you're clearly just trying to live out the, the tall life that you never could. I love that he had to be like, I want to be tall, but I still want to be the guy running the show. Six foot eight point guard. Love it.
Love it. But uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, case of the Mondays for him because sometimes you got to dare to dream. Even right? he gets a big NFL win, and everybody's just making fun of him for for the video game stuff. He's Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson. That is your case of the Mondays. Looking for the perfect destination for your next social or corporate gathering? Venue 1235 has you covered. Located right off I-70 and five minutes from downtown Lawrence. Brandon Schneider, KU Women's Basketball Head Coach, joins us next. This is RCST. I've got a special guest joining us now here on Rock Chalk Sports Talk. That would be one, Brandon Schneider, head coach of the KU Women's Basketball Team. And as of, gosh, what was that, Wednesday, I believe, we were a month away from late night. So obviously now less than a month away from late night in the fog. I'm curious from from that standpoint, you know, when we see the scrimmage, how much of that scrimmage that we see is just kind of open floor players just playing kind of pickup style basketball versus it being more of a structured game where players and and the teams are running actual sets and things that you are going to see over the course of the season? Yeah, I think it's it's definitely more of a, a pickup game style. Um, you know, in years past, late night has been, uh, you know, really early, um, you know, right at the beginning of practice. This year will be a little bit different. We'll have a couple of weeks of practice under our belt. But, um, you know, 10-minute running clock or, or whatever time they give us is, uh, is not a whole lot to show. I think it's more of just allowing the – players to run up and down and give the fans an, an opportunity to, you know, kind of see what we have. Um, you know, I think with, with us having so many returners, um, it's, it's just fans being able to recognize, you know, who's back and, and hopefully there's a, an increased level of excitement. Obviously a big part of it too, is the, all the skits and the dancing and everything. Um, how much work do you have to put into that with, with all the choreography or, or any of the skits or whatnot? Uh, I put in zero. I think the, the frustrating thing for me is, you know, our players will spend more time getting ready for that than they do for, for practice in, in September. So, um, you know, it's something they always have a lot of fun with. Uh, they get really excited about for sure. Yeah, well, uh, we're excited to see what whatever it looks like this year. Um, so let's say you've been given all the power for, for picking the musical act. And, and obviously I know that, you know, part of – the selection for who's going to play, it's not just about, you know, what, what the coaches want. It's about what do the players want, what do, you know, potential recruits want, what do the, the people in the stands want. But let's just say you get all the autonomy here and you can pick whoever you want. You have unlimited budget to bring in any musical artist to play at Late Night in the Fog just for your own enjoyment. Who are you going with? Well, and, and I'm not – I wouldn't pick for my own enjoyment, I don't think. I think uh, just listening to players – uh, and recruits, um, you know, I think uh, J. Cole's pretty popular right now. Um, you know, for, for me, you're, you're getting into probably a little bit more country, and I don't think that that is uh, the route we want to go probably from a recruiting, you know, standpoint. But, uh, it's uh, it, again, that's hey, – I'm going to find out who the entertainment is the same time that you are. So <laughs> – uh, that's, uh, I, I don't have, uh, that, that kind of pull. Um, you know, I, the, the artist who I identified with a lot, uh, a few years ago, uh, I don't think that went over really well, uh, but that was kind of my era. I knew every word to every song. So, um, I, I don't see us probably going back that route though. Well, if, if you're going to the country route, I know my wife would, would gladly love that. Um, so, 
We're talking with Brandon Schneider here on uh, Rock Chalk Sports Talk. Uh, you, you guys all visited uh, Grand Lake recently for a team retreat. What went into that? Why was that something that was important to, to you? You know, that, that whole concept was born out of uh, coming out of COVID. You know, the COVID year, uh, we had to take two buses. Everybody had their own room. We had a lot of meals uh, in the hotel in, in styrofoam with, with plastic utensils, um, just not a lot of opportunities to, um, you know, build camaraderie and chemistry off the floor because of COVID. Uh, and we felt like as a staff, hey, we, we've got to do something here really early uh, with a lot of the COVID protocols being relaxed, um, you know, to, to get back to really focusing on some of the things that we feel like are the values and pillars of our program, but also just having a lot of fun, um, you know, and, and we chose to, to go down there to Shangri-La to that resort, and uh, we've done it now back-to-back years. The itinerary has been a little bit different, but, um, you know, the goal has been the same, and it's, it's been probably the best use of our uh, time and, and financial resources um, from a team-building standpoint that, that I've been a part of in, in my 28 years in, in collegiate coaching. Yes, you mentioned that goes back to COVID. Was that anything that, that you used to do at any point over your coaching career, or was that kind of the first time you, you started? Yeah, we, we would do some different things from, from team-building, you know, whether it's bringing in speakers or, um, you know, different, you know, day-and-a-half type of seminars, things like that. Um, but uh, we, we've not done something that was structured the way that our retreat um, has, ha- has now kind of become. And uh, we really like the format. Uh, we, again, we, we do some, some things that are very, very serious uh, from a communication standpoint, from getting to know each other maybe on a, on a much deeper level. Uh, and, and then we go and we have some fun and we come back and, and just kind of alternate that that concept and uh it's been really really beneficial you know for our program and i think the development of our culture well i'm curious from just a i guess getting ready for the season standpoint how this time of year differs from you know once we get to late night in the fog i'm sure from there to the start of the season is is really kind of a a mad dash and a sprint of, of having everything happen in the off season versus right now what are some of the differences for I guess the practice and, and everything that you can do with the team. Well, right now we're limited to four hours a week on the court. So uh, the way that we've structured that since school started is we do three uh, one hour and 20 minute practices a week um, that uh, have some skill development involved, uh, some team concepts. Our, our focal point has, has been a lot on offense uh, up until this week. Uh, in in uh, this week, we'll kind of shift our focus. Uh, be very defensive-oriented going into the the start of official practice. And when you have players who, you know, obviously everyone's going to work on something, going to try to improve stuff over the offseason, and every so often you see the players who just take massive jumps from one season to the next, is is that something where when you can see how much a player has improved, can you see that kind of right away? Or is that something that you almost have to wait into game time to be able to see what it looks like once you kind of get under the lights? Well, I mean, with, with us being able to spend time with them three to four days a week, I think we're, we're seeing some of those things now. Um, you know, Tyana Jackson, uh, the time that she spent with our staff, and specifically Coach Nooner, 
um, this summer is, has been extremely valuable. Her offensive skill set has really grown and improved. Um, you know, Zakiya Franklin, we really challenged to, uh, you know, when, when, when the three-point line moved back uh, for us, uh, that affected uh, KB quite a bit, um, you know, just, just that little bit that it moved. So she spent a lot of time this summer, I think, trying to be more comfortable uh, with the distance of the new three-point line, and we're seeing evidence of that, you know, in, in the different shooting drills and things that we do. So um, I, I would say that now with the time that we're able to spend with them, we're definitely seeing, um, you know, some, some fruits of the players' hard work uh, over the summer months. I guess this is more of a, a, a big picture question, which is everything that's going on right now with the athletic department. It's just been one great thing after another. So you have volleyball making the Sweet 16 last year. Now they're, you know, top 25 team. You have you guys making the NCAA tournament and getting the biggest uh, NCAA tournament win program history against Georgia Tech. You have the men's team winning the title. You have football now 3-0 and to the start to the year. What's it kind of like at the athletic department right now? And obviously, you know, a situation where it seems like success is kind of breeding from success and that I I don't know if, you know, there's competition from a standpoint of like, oh, I'm going to try to do better than you. But it just feels like everybody is kind of continually raising the bar and, and matching where that is. How fun, I guess, has it been being around the athletic department, being around all these different programs? And you're obviously a big part of this with what women's basketball has become here and how much fun this has kind of been with, with this vibe just around the university. Yeah. You know, Bill Parcells called it the, the narcotic of winning. I mean, it's, uh, it's, it's contagious. It's, it's, uh, you know, uh, addictive if, uh, for lack of a better word. Um, I think it's great that all the programs are doing so well. I think that, uh, you know, you, you, you don't want to let each other down. And um, obviously with, uh, with, with Coach Self and our men's basketball program and, and where they've set the bar for competitive excellence for many, many years, I think all the other sports, um, you know, see that and strive uh, to, you know, to chase that, to chase that feeling, to chase uh, that kind of success. And, um you know, couldn't be couldn't be prouder of, of, of how the fall sports have, have gotten things kicked off. Um, there's a lot of juice. There's a lot of energy on campus, and um, I think there'll be great evidence of that. Um, you know, later this this week uh, when our guys take on Duke. Well, Coach, I appreciate the time as always. We're looking forward to whenever the uh, conference schedule gets released, and uh, I think we're going to have start having you on or, or someone from your staff or whatnot more regularly, so we're really looking forward to that. I appreciate it, Derek. Thank you. That was Brandon Schneider, head coach of the KU women's basketball team. Of course, you can hear all that action all season long here on KLWN. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. NFL Monday Overreactions, next. It's- You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk on KLWN with Nick Springer. I am Derek Johnson. Coming up at the top of the 5 o'clock hour, we'll continue on with our KU football talk. We uh, have some Jalen Daniels audio to share with you coming up later in the show as well. But it's a Monday, so time to overreact to what we saw over the weekend. Our NFL Monday overreactions here on RCST. So I don't want this this to come off distasteful because I clearly I, I hope... Trey Lance gets healthy. I hope he's okay. 
Hope he has a long career. Hope he has all sorts of success and whatnot. But my first NFL Monday overreaction, tell me if you think this is an overreaction or not. Okay. The 49ers are better with Jimmy Garoppolo. Uh, did you maybe see the video where Jimmy G like got hit and he was like on the ground and like the entire offense like came over and grabbed him and was like no. patting him on the helmet and was like, oh yeah, good job. I, like they carried him <laughs> off the field. Yeah, basically. Basically. So I mean, I, I don't I'm hard pressed to say this is an overreaction because we've seen Jimmy G have a lot of success with the forty with the 49ers, right? So I'm 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 tempted to say this is not an overreaction. I always hope the best for Trey Lance, but for Jimmy G, now I guess he's in a position where he can basically use the rest of the season as an audition for wherever he might be going next, right? Um, because presumably the Niners, after Trey Lance comes back from injury, are going to continue to stick with him as their quarterback. So, and he remember Jimmy G just signed that one-year extension for this year, mm-hmm. so he's good for this year. So, from Jimmy G's standpoint, he's got an opportunity to audition for uh, his future job, basically, which could be anywhere in the league, right? So. Yeah, I, I again, I, I'm hard-pressed to say this is an overreaction because we've literally seen Jimmy G have a lot of success. And, and Trey Lance, it's not like he was just going crazy to start the year. He was really struggling, honestly. So, yeah, I don't, I don't know. I feel like this might not be an overreaction, actually. It's just it, it's a tough spot to be in for the 49ers because they clearly had decided to commit to Trey Lance. But you would have liked, obviously, with him being out for the year now with, with the ankle injury, you would have liked to see some good success this year, even before then, so you could have at least been like, okay, we saw it. We know that we saw it. It was it was still a small sample. 15 of 31, 194 yards, no touchdowns, and an interception. So you didn't learn a ton about Trey Lance. We, we still don't know. And the first game was in, uh, you know, they were playing, at, yeah, they were playing at Schlitterbahn <laughs> on the field. Like, you couldn't figure anything out. They so, were playing in Lake Michigan. <laughs> yeah, they, they don't know if, like, Trey Lance is going to be the answer or not, which is a little bit unfortunate there. So it's a sticky situation because what if now Jimmy Garoppolo, who made the NFC title game last year, made it to the Super Bowl a couple years before, what if he has the best year of his career? And what if the 49ers go to the Super Bowl again? What if the 49ers <laughs> win the Super Bowl with Jimmy Garoppolo? Like, what do they they're, do? They're a talented team. Like, it's not out of their own possibility. No, they have one of the best defenses in the NFC. They have... Like, they always have, have a good running game, right? Yeah, Debo's really good. It's not like that crazy. I mean, they were so close to, to going to the Super Bowl last year. So, yeah. it could be a very weird situation if Jimmy G has a great season this year because you didn't see guaranteed success from Trey Lance necessarily. I do actually think they're a better team, at least right now. But obviously, part of the discussion to play Trey Lance wasn't just about right the now. Potential. It was exactly, it was yeah. the potential. It was trying to develop this guy so that you would have a better quarterback in the long term. And if Jimmy G does all that stuff, I mean, I feel like at this point, he's probably not coming back to the 49ers yep. regardless. Like, even if they were like, even if they're like, hey, we changed our mind, you were really good this year, come back. So again, it's, but it's I wonder a, how much money he would get on the open market if he does have that kind of season. Uh, again, it's a 13, 14 game audition for him. Yeah, some Don't team after it. Some team is going to do will, like what, Remember what Jacksonville did when they signed Nick Foles? Yep. They, I forget what the contract was. It was now, a gigantic only, deal. I mean, if you think about it though, there's really not a lot of teams in the NFL right now that are in a situation where they need a quarterback like no. Like, a lot like, of them will just draft someone. Yeah, like like the Texans, I guess. But but you do have teams like. Washington, Ooh. the Colts that I mean, have guy, have veteran guys. When Tampa Tom Tampa Brady Bay. retires, yeah. maybe. Yeah, there what are some teams Aaron Rodgers retires. Yeah, no, there are some teams out there that have veteran guys that are mm-hmm. shaky at best. 
So there's, you know, somebody somebody will pay. I think. All right. This next one, I'm okay. curious what your angle is on this. Yeah. Bruce Arians is still <laughs> the head coach. He's ghost coaching yeah. the Buccaneers. I jotted this down on Sunday, so I was like What's what's the angle here? Every time I saw the TV switch to or I was watching one of the TV screens that had the, the Buccaneers Saints game on, it felt like every single time it was a shot of Bruce Arians on the sideline. And he he's no longer the head coach, quote unquote, right? What's his? I don't even know. What's his? Job? I don't know. It's like a assistant to the something or special advisor, or senior advisor. One of those terms that okay, still yeah. doesn't really describe to you like what exactly <laughs> is your day to day. He was on the sideline, like in the midst of everything, and they kept showing him. Did he have a headset on? No, he didn't have the headset on. Okay. That was the one thing that was missing. Okay. But like clearly, I I would be kind of mad if I was the guy who took over for you. Like, how would you feel? If let's just say let's just say I I got a job somewhere else and and you're working here and I just came in every day and just stood over your shoulder I didn't say anything <laughs> I was just like standing over your shoulder as you're doing the show you'd be like what what is going on like please <laughs> will you let me like do my thing here you know what I mean so I yeah it's just weird it's it's like the Coach K thing at Duke it's like as he has he actually retired he still has an office there what's going on are, are you gonna promote yourself to senior advisor yeah. to the show. Just give Senior me a title so I can keep getting paid. Advisor, uh, friend, friend of the show, mm-hmm. advisor of the show. No, I, yeah, I, I, I think he's still like the the shadow operator of the team. Yeah, that would be that'd be very interesting, like ghost coaching, basically. Mm-hmm. Like, 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 basically, I he's guess, like writing down notes for uh, yeah, Todd yeah, Bowles. He's yeah. like, hey, you should probably do this. Like, hey, this is what I like, did last like, year. It's like you're uh, trying to think of the right way to describe it. It's it's like your stuntman almost. Like you're the one doing all the work. <laughs> But then you have somebody in front of you that if things go bad, it's mm-hmm. like he takes, you know, he's the fall guy. Mm-hmm. Todd Bowles is the fall guy. All right. How about this one? Tua will win MVP. Whoa. I mean, if he does what he did, like if five or six touchdowns. Six uh, touchdowns, 492 points. 499 yards. Have a game-winning drive. Big comeback in the fourth quarter. I mean, Dolphins if he. Dolphins 2-0. He, if he just continue, if he did that every week, he would win MVP. That's not even a, a debate at that point. Um, no, he will not win MVP. This is a bit of an overreaction, but I did, I, you know, watching that game, and, and it wasn't all him. Like a lot of it was just straight up Jalen Waddle and Tyreek Hill are just good. It's yeah, it, like that's really good. It's almost unfair because both those guys are such good receivers, and they're so fast and yep. quick that you can just dump off a five yard pass to either of them. It can go for a touchdown. Or I get one of them exactly yeah, can get yeah. open on a deep ball, and you can underthrow them by five yards. But they've blown past the DB <laughs> so much that it just Which, doesn't matter. That actually did happen. It, in the yes, game. it did. <laughs> yep. did a, he underthrew Tyreek Hill <laughs> badly like twice. Yeah, <laughs> and it still worked because he was so far in front of everybody. So like he's going to put up really good numbers. I think this season. I think this is going to be one of those years from Tua where because of the weapons around him, we're going to debate at the end of the year because they look like a good team just overall. Yeah. We're going to be like, I, I was shocked. I didn't think they would look good. I agree. I, I thought they were going to be a you know fine team because of the weapons, but maybe there was going to be more flash than substance. Um, we might at the end of the year be talking like, oh, is Tua, is he a top 10 quarterback now? When in reality, I'm not sure I'm ready to go there. I think it's just going to be about those kind of weapons around him, and he's in a good scheme with a good offensive coordinator who comes over as the head coach with Mike McDaniel, that he has kind of a good system around him. So, no, I'm not going to go MVP, but I'll say Pro Bowl. My favorite part of the weekend was a Dolphins fan on Twitter posting a clip of him of Tua throwing touchdown. I'm like, how many times did Patrick Mahomes do this to Tyreek? <laughs> it's like, 
uh, every game, and he also didn't underthrow him. Mm -hmm. So, uh, yeah, I don't know how much I buy that either. All right, this one, I'm very intrigued by this next one. This is a good one. Nathaniel Hackett will be fired by midseason <laughs> from the Broncos. Fired. Oh, gosh. You're fired. Um... I, okay, the, the clear answer is the gears yes. This turning. is overreaction. The gears yeah. are turning in Derek's Yes, right they now. are. So, like, the clear first answer, I should just get this out of the way. Yes, this is an overreaction. Coach is not going to get fired in, in the first year of his deal, and nor should he. Are you sure about but that? But also, like, oh, my gosh. It's like, dude, you, you got to, like, get out of your own way here. <laughs> you know? Because... I, I can't remember another coach who through just two games has already developed the reputation of like, like there's like people the, already saying like, are, is this the worst coaching situation? Well, it's like the Ted Lasso moment. It's like here, right. here comes a coach who no like doesn't understand the, the game or know what's going on, and he's just trying to learn on the fly. Basically, the best part was the fans literally counting down the play clock. I don't know if you saw the video <laughs> yeah, of that did. where mm -hmm. the Broncos fans were literally counting down the play clock to try to help out the team. I yeah. guess. I get, but like also in a mocking way. They the the one series we were talking about this before the show where they had the third and one they run the the they run the tight end uh, the sweep. tight end yeah tight end like jet sweep essentially <laughs> uh, gets stuffed they come out there they're gonna kick another long field goal they have a delay a game and then they have to punt it away <laughs> that does not do great in your home opener after the way the first game went now to his credit they won the game I think that's they were gonna playing be, the Texans okay if if Nathaniel the Hackett Texans bro they were they were. Um, if Nathaniel Hackett was on a team, because I still think there's enough talent on the Broncos roster, they're not going to bottom out, right? Like they're they, not going to be four and thirteen. They could. No way. No way. This really? team's going to be like four and thirteen. You could convince me that yes, the Broncos are not going to be a good team. They could go seven and ten. They're not going to be one of the, like the five worst records in the NFL. You Maybe can get on board that with bad, that, they, right? They might be. I don't. They could be six and eleven or five and twelve, and that's I only guess. one win that, away. That's from bottoming out to me. That's bottoming. I I don't think that happens. I think that because of there's at least enough talent there that they're not going to be horrible, and because of that, they look pretty horrible so far. I think if you put Nathaniel Hackett on a a team that was like whatever the Texans or one of these bottom tier teams, the Bears or something, then maybe this would be more of a conversation because the record might show it. But I think they'll go seven and ten, what's, eight and nine, nine and eight, something like that. What's going to save Nathaniel Hackett here is that the Broncos play a cupcake schedule. We still have the AFC West. Besides the AFC West, mm -hmm. they play a very, very easy schedule. So they should be able to win seven or eight games, you would think. That's what I'm saying. It's hard for them to bottom out. But if out. you can't get out of your own way, I mean, listen, it's the NFL, man. If you if you make this many coaching mistakes, you're going to lose games because of it. Oh, for sure. Yeah, yeah. Like it's, games that you should win. Yeah, I, I don't really think they're a playoff team, but I just I, I can't see them bottoming out. I think they have too much talent to to be a team that's four, five, six wins. I think they're gonna I think they're gonna win five games. Okay, is that an overreaction? I I think it is, okay. but I, there's okay. probably there's there's probably many people who who are agreeing with you okay. after what we've seen so far. So okay, I mean so, they lost to the Seahawks, who aren't going to be very good. So yes. so segue into this next one, the biggest disappointment of the year right now, is it Denver? Who we just talked about? <laughs> yeah. Indianapolis, Las oh, Vegas, or Cincinnati. Man, so these are all different like tiers of disappointment. So for like, I guess we'll, we'll start with the AFC West ones, the Denver and Las Vegas one. Las Vegas is like, I still think they're going to be okay, which is weird because they're 0-2, but also you look at, the, I mean, they had what, a five-point loss to the Chargers, so I think the Chargers are a yeah. good team. Yeah. Um, 
and then you had a game versus Arizona that you you were the better team. You just blew it. Now, on one hand, that doesn't speak well because you don't want to be the team that is known for blowing well, isn't, games. Isn't that just classic Raiders, though? It is. It is. So, like, that's what, like should I trust that that's going to discontinue? You know what I mean? Like that. I don't know that. I don't feel great about that. Um, yeah. But I think we have seen at least enough from like Derek Carr where. He does this. He'll lose games that he's not supposed to in, in games like this where they blow a lead. And then they'll beat, like like last year, they beat the Ravens and they beat the Chiefs, right? And, and they'll but, win some of these games. But they're not actually, like, a real threat to, like, go deep in the playoffs. But, listen, that's fine if you want to be an apologist for Derek Carr. But he has Devontae Adams now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I guess. You can't keep being an apologist for this guy. No, I'm, I'm not, just I'm saying. I'm not saying you specifically. I'm just right, saying right. generally. People, that's how generally people are. I'm just not ready to put Las Vegas in the disappointment column yet because part of it basically to me goes in the category of well, what did I think they were going to be? I thought they would be a wins? fringe playoff team. Like maybe they make the playoffs if it goes right. Exactly. Like maybe they get to 10 wins. Maybe they make the playoffs. Okay, maybe they're at eight or nine now. I don't think it's like that much of a difference. Like they're still in just a hard division and, yeah. and it was hard to think of them as, as winning the division. The Colts just suck. Colts suck. See, that's the one Colts that. Just they just stink. They might be the it. answer here because the same thing for like like with Cincinnati. Cincinnati, that's very Cincinnati surprising. Stinks too. Their offensive line is worse than last year after all that they invested in it. Yeah, that's terrible. And they're certainly having like a Super Bowl hangover here. But at the same point in time, like when I look at Cincinnati, I so last week we had on overreactions. Like, is like what do you think Cincinnati is last finish? Last week we have on overreactions. I mean, is the Browns just lost to the last. Jets. Last in the AFC North. Mm. Is Cincinnati going to finish last in the AFC North? No, because I still think the Steelers' offense sucks, and I, the Browns <laughs> just lost to the Jets. So, like, that, that's where I'm going with it. Like, the Bengals, even if they're going to be worse than they were last year. They lost year, to the Steelers, though, already. They did, but it was kind of a, a weird game to happen. It was I think Indianapolis is the answer to me here. Indianapolis, Indianapolis was not going to really be anything. I mean, I guess they were the favorites to win the AFC South. That's what I'm saying, though. Like, I think all these other picks on here, even though they're worse than you might have thought before the season— they all, at least to me, and you clearly disagree with Denver, so maybe that would be your answer, but I still think with Denver, Las Vegas, well, you're and the Cincinnati. One that, you're the one that picked Denver to win the AFC West. I did, but I, I still think with Denver, Las Vegas, and Cincinnati. No, just to be clear, I didn't have high expectations for Denver at all coming into the season. This yeah, is, yeah. They are not disappointing me at all. They are they are okay. doing exactly what I thought they Well, I mean, oh, that's a bit of an exaggeration. But they're, <laughs> I didn't expect them to be good. Yeah, yeah, but with all three of those teams, I still think there is a high enough floor that all three of those are going to win seven, eight, nine. Who knows? Maybe I don't know. Probably not ten at this point. Maybe the Bengals go get hot and beat up on on the Browns and Steelers or something. But um, that they, all the floors are the hot. Steelers once though That's for Indianapolis. That what you just said. They were predicted to win the division, and now they look like one of the five worst teams in the NFL. You lost twenty four nothing to the Jaguars. <laughs> that happened to them last year too. So I, I, I think the but Colts, they compounded it with a tie against but, okay, the Texans. But counterpoint. The Colts are in the worst division out of these three teams, out of these four teams. So they're the team that has the best chance to still maybe turn it around and win the division. Double counter to that: the two games they've played have been against the worst division in football, and they haven't taken advantage. So what happens now when they're playing against non-divisional opponents? Well, I think Matt I mean, Ryan's done. Well, I think he's washed. Okay, well then I guess come on down, Jimmy G. You're the next quarterback of the there we go. Colts. They've just they've loved that. They do the veteran quarterback yep, yep, thing, right? They yep. go Phil Rivers, Carson Wentz. That's, Jimmy G, you're yeah. the next contestant. Uh, I think we figured it out. To turn around the Indianapolis Colts. <laughs> He's Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson. That is our NFL Monday overreactions. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk. Two hours down, one to go. We get to some more KU football talk next.
Welcome in to Rock Chalk Sports Talk on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Derek Johnson along with Nick Springer on another edition of RCST. KU taking down Houston. What a win for KU over the weekend. They just absolutely dominated Houston in that game. And uh, we have some more player audio to get for you, or some more post-game audio, I should say, later on in the show. But we'll start with the KU offense. And the offense has just been elite so far to start this season. I uh, We talked a little last week about if you average 30 points per game. Last season, 51 of the 52 teams who averaged 30 or more points per game were bowl eligible, the only one being Texas. They still won five games, but that's just classic Texas there. And um, for KU to average 30 points per game at the end of this season, at this point, all they would have to do is average like 22 point something points per game the rest of the way to get to that point. That should make you feel good. But uh, the offense just overall, it it's it's masterclass right now. Andy Kotelnicki is putting on a show. Jalen Daniels continues to convert all these key fourth downs or third downs. He's just making big play after big play. He's doing it with his legs. The running game has been elite. The offensive line has been great. The tight ends are blocking and contributing in the passing game. Everything about the offense right now is clicking. Yeah, this offense is going to keep KU in games, which is, uh, again, another thing that's really different for probably KU fans is in the past it's always been, oh, the defense, can they just get a, a stop and get the offense? And the off- Can the offense get a first down? Can the offense move the ball? and the defense hang on long enough to keep it a game long enough to where they have some success. But it's just uh, it's just completely different now. It's just completely different. I mean, Jalen Daniels, outstanding. I, I, whatever superlative you can think of, it's not enough for Jalen Daniels with how well he's played so far this season. And he's been backed up by Andy Kotelnicki making incredible play calls. And Jalen Daniels, he completed 14 passes against Houston to 11 different receivers. 14 passes to 11 different receivers. That's just incredible, and we've discussed this previously on the show. the The question of, well, what what does KU what will KU do in third down situations? Who's going to be their go to guy? Do they need one? I don't know. They're, I mean, <laughs> I don't know. They've they, fourteen completions to eleven different receivers is just incredible. And what Andy Kolnicki has done has just been nothing short of phenomenal so far this season. I think the only question you might have for Andy Kolnicki at this point, and it actually is something that he has openly discussed. Uh, in some previous press conferences is can he keep up this level of creativity without opposing defensive coordinators who are going to be gaining more and more film on KU catching up to him at some point this season that's a I think that's probably the only angle you could take to where you might have a question about the KU offense because everything else has been phenomenal so that's the only question really you can come up with but but, yeah, just incredible work by Andy Kotelnicki. He's been so good. He's been so dynamic in his play calling. And, obviously, the execution's been incredible as well. The offensive line for KU has been the best ever in the in the first three games of this season that I can remember. It just in terms of run blocking and in terms of pass blocking, they were outstanding. Although, I know there was some disgruntlement yeah. among the, uh, about the, the PFF grade for Dude, KU PFF football uh, is, in the uh, pass block. Yeah, it's not endearing itself well to the local <laughs> fans here. It gave KU a 15 on pass block. Out of 100. So, like, I do understand that sacks are not the be-all stat for pass blocking or pass rush. Like, quarterback hurries, quarterback hits, pressures, uh, those can be more... Because if you, if you have, like, prime Michael Vick... You could pressure him every play, but he might not get sacked any of the times, right? Yeah. And there were a couple times where, yes, they got pressure on Jalen Daniels. There was the one, I, I I can't remember, it was like end of the third quarter, early fourth quarter or something, 
where it looked like they collapsed the pocket on Jalen Daniels, and he kind of stepped up into it, and he somehow broke three yeah. of, or, uh, yeah, of a like, couple tackles. That was the play that stuck out of my mind. Yes. They had like two or three guys that looked like they should have had mm-hmm. him, and he got through, and he, and he ended up scrambling for like 10, 15 yards yeah. on that play, I think, too. So that was the one play that stuck out of my mind that was like, okay, there's an example of, right, of Jalen Daniels Pass blocking wasn't happen. great, yeah. and it doesn't go down as a sack. But, like, come on. You can't tell me <laughs> that if you give up, that it was just like every play he was getting all this pressure. That's the other thing. You watch the game, and it's not like he was under pressure every single play. Which no. To me, if you have a 15 pass block grade, again, like you said, out of 100, that's implying <laughs> to me that basically they did what Oklahoma did to KU in 2020, where they ended up with like nine sacks and a billion more quarterback hits and, and everything like that. So that that was very weird. Here's something that I do look at with that offensive line that you mentioned, because they have been so good this season. They still have not given up a sack, which... We can knock on wood for Andy Kotelnik, as he said at the uh, press conference last week. The offensive line, too, running the football. I mean, MVPs. uh, Of the KU rushing game, so Kansas ran for 280 rushing yards. They averaged 6.5 yards per pop, which is unbelievably efficient running game numbers. 4.6 of the 6.5 yards per carry were before contact. Out of comparison, That's a lot of yards. Yes, out of comparison, Houston was in the twos before they were get contacted. So, like, it's not just that KU has a really good running back core and that they have all these talented running backs. KU's offensive line is opening them up massive holes. Yeah. The, the one long run that Devin Neal had, it was kind of equivalent to the long run he had on the stretch play, except versus Houston, it was to the left side, versus Tennessee Tech to the right side, where, like, the hole was just, uh, like you couldn't have missed it. You couldn't have not gone through it. And, and some of the holes that the offensive line is creating and the push that they are giving forward to that running game, it's it's such a huge advantage to have for this running game. And now that you've done it against back-to-back Power 5 opponents on the road, and say what you want about West Virginia. I don't even know if West Virginia is a bowl team. Say what you want about Houston. It's an American Athletic Conference team, but they're probably going to win eight, win eight, eight or nine games, yeah, right? Probably. Those are both teams that, regardless of what you think about them overall, the strength of both teams, specifically on the defense, the D line, is their D line. And you were able to punch big holes in that defensive line. I could not be more impressed with the offensive line. I could not be more impressed with the job that KU offensive line coach Scott Fuchs has done. Mike Nowitzki has been great so far this season. Just, again, remarkable effort by the O-line. Yeah, and I think for anybody who might be sitting there and saying, well, where was this last year? Like, where was this Where was this play calling last year with Andy Kolnicki, whatever? Like, why? how is this just coming out of nowhere? I think you'd have to go back to what you had mentioned earlier in the show, Derek, which is there was no offseason for these guys to really, for the coaching staff to come in and, and do anything last year. They Lance Leifold got hired in May or April. They didn't really have a lot of time. So th- this last year was, like, basically year zero, like you said. And it was, I think it was almost more of just trying to figure out what they had. And now this year, you are starting to see the execution, the the, the playmaking, and the the play calling of Andy Kolnicki come to life because it's been it's been immaculate. It's been flawless. I mean, he was he was completely dialed in for this game against Houston. The the long touchdown pass to Tory Lachlan was was perfectly play called and perfectly executed. So it's just uh, it it really is phenomenal. But yeah, I think now you're starting to see the fruits of. Of having a full off season, having a full fall camp with the with this coaching staff and what it's done for this team so far this season. Yeah, and I think to the 
back to the credit of the offensive line, like you see some of the very creative things Andy Kotelnicki does, and, and yeah. the ones that stick out the most, it's the the trick play on the fourth down where they uh, eventually pitch it back to Quinn Skinner. Yeah, that's right, it's Quinn yep. Skinner, yep. and he kind of sweeps around to the right side. And then they did, I forget if it was later that drive or the next drive, where they get down to a goal-to-go situation, and they run the same action, except they fake one of it, and then they have Jalen Daniels throw it to, I believe it was to Jared Casey for the touchdown. And that creativity was so much fun to watch. It was awesome. It worked and everything. Behind every great trick play is great blocking. Like, I, I go back to... I don't know, like the Statue of Liberty, Boise State against Oklahoma. Yes, the 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 Statue of Liberty, it, it, it tricks out maybe some of the linebackers or something thinking they're going to throw to the right. But at the end of the day, if the backside defensive end breaks through the, the left tackle's block or something like that, it's just a trick play that doesn't work. And it's the same thing with both of those. If the offensive line doesn't block on the outside, the reverse doesn't go around. And then if the reverse isn't blocked well and Quentin Skinner's not able to get the edge and, and get by the guy who's supposed to seal the outside because it's being blocked well, then are they able to run the counter off of it? Because if it didn't work, how can you counter off it properly, right? So a lot of it does have to just come down to the offensive line. You can be the most creative play call in the, caller in the world. If your offensive line can't block, if you don't have time to run some of those things, it doesn't matter. So that, to me, is the biggest win that this KU offense has kind of had this season. It is that offensive line. And I should mention the tight ends here, too. Yeah. Um, we saw Trevor if you, Cardell. If, if you weren't going to mention him, I was. Yeah, Trevor Cardell caught a touchdown in the game. That was nice to see because we haven't seen him a ton through the first couple of weeks. You continue to have Mason Fairchild. Uh, and Jared Casey making the occasional catch, and then both of them playing a big role in the run-blocking game, the occasional pass-blocking game as well, and that's just an extension of the offensive line. Like It's not just those five offensive linemen. It's the tight ends as well. They're contributing to this a lot, and in a lot of cases, they are in certain plays like KU's best run-blockers on the play. They are yep. sealing the play. They are creating the key blocks of the plays, and I think that just goes back to what we're talking about with Andy Kotelnicki because – it's not just that he's the offensive coordinator. It's not just that he's the play caller. Andy Kotelnicki deals with the tight ends. And last season, we saw some inconsistencies with the blocking of those guys. You gave him a full offseason. He's worked wonders. I I, I think that I, – I forget the name of the award. I want to say it's like the Broyles Award. The, I think that or, sounds uh, right. The best coordinator? Uh, it's like the best assistant coach or something like that. I mean, Lance Leipold certainly deserves to be in any conversation right now for National Coach of the Year and Big 12 Coach of the Year and all that stuff. Andy Kotelnicki deserves to be in those conversations for the assistant coach of the year right now. Yeah, yeah, I I, I agree, and and he he has been phenomenal, and and we looked at this KU offense coming into the preseason, and we thought the strength was going to be the running backs, and to a certain extent it has been. I mean, Jalen Daniels has obviously been excellent as well, and but we've learned a lot more about the running backs over the first couple of weeks, and it's it seems like it's pretty clear now that you have Devin Neal and Daniel Highshaw as your two main guys. It seems it, the way that I'm viewing this is Daniel Highshaw is sort of turning into your workhorse guy, like your guy that when you need a tough couple yards, you just give it to him. And Devin Neal is obviously very explosive and can make a lot of plays. And and it's not that Savion Morrison and, and Kai Thomas are not going to see the field at all because Savion Morrison had a 30-yard run in this game also. So it just kind of goes back to fresh legs and having the fact that you can have you can rely on those different guys to come into the game and, and make big plays. But, but, yeah, it definitely seems like Devin Neal and Daniel Hyshaw are your one-two punch at running back. But the fact that you can say that and then your next two guys are Kai Thomas and, and Savion Morrison, 
really even more speaks to that running back room. And obviously, we've highlighted it a lot. We knew it was probably going to be a strength, but they've delivered. Yeah, the, the running back room has delivered. No questions asked about that. It's been the rest of the offense that has played probably beyond our expectations to this point. Like even like like you said, even Jalen Daniels, we knew he was going to be good. We'd seen flashes of it, but this good, this fast, I don't know. And uh, the offensive line, obviously outstanding. And then on you, you, on top of that, you throw in the tight ends who have who, as you said, are some of the best run blockers on the team by PFF grades and whatnot. And Jerry Casey obviously has been excellent. Mason Fairchild's been excellent. And now even Trevor Cardell, who we were questioning because he wasn't getting in the game. So clearly maybe he his injury was a bit more serious or he was taking more time to, to recover from it because now he looked good and came out and, and got a big catch in this game against Houston and, and was out there. So, so yeah, it's just it's just all around good stuff from the offense. It's, it's really remarkable. And again, it's this is another situation of there's just a lot of – there's a lot of unfamiliar territory maybe for KU fans right now. And this is another one of, of being able to look back and say, or sit back and say, wow, you know, this offense is going to produce, like they're going to get the ball and they're going to go down and they're going to get yards they're, If nothing else with the run game, they're going to maintain possession probably for X amount of time and, and allow your defense to recover. But, but yeah, they're, they're legit. And at this stage, it doesn't look like they're going anywhere. Like, like I said, I think the only question you could say is, can Andy Kolnicki keep up with this with this play calling throughout the whole season as teams start to build more of a database of film on KU's offense? But I don't think that's something you need to be concerned right now about. No, and I, I think because they are so multiple, if they, yeah, like uh, that that could almost be helpful. Yeah, like, like they it, could they could go back and use stuff from mm-hmm. like three or four weeks ago when a defense might be only reviewing the film of their last game. So, they, I, again, I don't think it's something you need to be concerned about, but I'm just looking at for an angle of, like, where's something that might – where you could see maybe some hiccups. That's the yep. one, I guess. But even that, like, I, I don't I don't know. I mean, the, the, it, it seems like the sky's the limit for the offense right now. Yeah, the, the one – and I hesitate to even say question because Jalen has been so darn good that I, I'm not really concerned about this happening. It's just the one thing that's unproven is maybe the – the way to put it, at least this season, is that what happens in a game where you're playing like an elite run defense, and who knows, maybe there's not an elite run defense on KU's schedule, so maybe it doesn't even matter, but yeah. what happens if you play a team who fully sells out against the run? I think Jalen Daniels has shown more than enough that he'll be able to beat that, but let's say consistently instead of, because we've seen Kansas so often in third down and two, third down and four, third down and five, if Kansas is in a game where they are more consistently in third down and six and third down and seven, and going back to the receiver thing, clearly they have enough there to be productive, but they don't have the go-to guy. And we haven't seen a game where Jalen Daniels has thrown 300 passing yards, right? Nope. Where he's had to chuck it around the field that much and throw for 300, 400 passing yards. That's going to be the the unproven thing from here. And again, it doesn't mean he can't do it because I think everything that Jalen Daniels has done and everything the offense has done would tell you that it's probably not going to be an issue. But it's certainly something to keep track of to the fact that KU really hasn't because if we were to like tear out what are the what are the strengths of the offense and what are the when I say weaknesses, I don't mean that they're bad, but just in compared to the strengths, they're not as good. Yeah. And so again, we've talked about the, the receiving core, they have more than enough there and that they um though that they were unproven coming into the year, they clearly have enough talent to be good enough with what Jalen Daniels is doing. But compared to what the running game is, we know the pass catchers are more of the weakness there. So what happens if you do get in a game where you are having to rely on your quote-unquote weakness? Well, and something else to consider is think about these last two games on the road for KU. 
at West Virginia, at Houston. They got down 14 nothing early in both those games. The composure that was shown by the offense and also the the commitment to their identity. There was not there was no panic, right? That like like there was no panic. There was no, oh my gosh, now we have to throw the ball over the place and now we have to change what we were going to do offensively because we're in the situation. There was absolutely no panic. There wasn't even like uh, maybe you can ask Andy Kolnicki about this, but like, you know, there it didn't seem like there was any question of okay, we're gonna change our play calling because of the situation we're in. They stayed committed to what they were doing and it and it obviously worked out very well in both games. So that that to me is like you know I was thinking in my head okay well what if what if KU is down you know twenty one nothing in the first quarter twenty eight nothing whatever and and they're forced to change how their offense wants to run but then I started thinking and well they were down fourteen nothing in the first <laughs> quarter of both games and they they stayed committed to what they were doing and it worked so I don't I don't I mean how big of a deficit would they need to be in for the offense to maybe be rattled because they've shown great composure and even against Houston if you recall they were down seven nothing. They had a bad snap to Jalen Daniels that he thought that he had to pick up and run around with, and they ended up punting on on a three and out where they lost a bunch of yards. They had like ne- they had negative yards after their first two drives, if I'm not mistaken, and they still were able to shake that off and come out and, and continue to, to ball out the way they have. So, so I, I don't I don't know. I mean, I, I don't know what it would take for them to for the def- for the offense to get rattled or to lose composure because they've shown incredible mental toughness and incredible. Uh, commitment to what they've wanted to do, right? They've they come into the game with a game plan. Oh, they get down fourteen nothing, stuck with the game plan, and it's worked out for them. Okay, if you have to give a uh, game ball to somebody on the offense, who would you go with? From Houston? No, for KU. For KU. Wait, what do you mean? A game ball, like MVP? Yeah, like from, from the offense. Houston game or just in general? Oh, I'm sorry, I thought you meant like from the Houston team. Oh no no no! I'm yeah yeah, like from, from the, the Houston, Houston game. game. Yes, from the Houston game. Okay. Um, man, it's hard not to go with Jalen Daniels, honestly. I think you'd have to go with Jalen Daniels for this first one, or for the Houston. I would give it to the entire offensive line, but that's cheating. So if I'm just going to give it to one person, um, man, okay, so I'll, I'll say my short sample uh, or, or whatever uh, didn't play a ton of snaps, but deserves at least uh, a mention here. Tory Lachlan only played 10 snaps, but he had the long touchdown reception. Yep. He also had six of the 10 snaps were in run blocking, and he graded out as one of KU's best run blockers in the game. So good for him, but I, I'll i go with Mike Nowitzki um, because of the fact that he's kind of the leader of that offensive line. Graded out good again in the run block. Didn't grade out well in the pass block, but we talked about that earlier. I'm not really <laughs> buying into that stuff. So I'll give it to Mike Nowitzki, uh, kind of pivotal in the middle of that offensive line. He's Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk on KLWN. Jalen Daniels spoke to the media after the KU win. We'll share that for you next. <laughs>